0: In the Christian world, you might have heard all sins are ultimately the the same. Some people just sin differently than you. But is that true? We'll do that and more on this week's Corey Act show. Three pieces of audio I want to play for you. The first from the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, where I think he got something wrong. One from I believe his name is Sinclair Ferguson. I'm almost positive that's his name. Where I just don't think he was quite charitable enough when he was trying to make a uh, a criticism of modern pastors. And then one from my own church. I want to play for you a clip from the sermon we had on Sunday, to and then make some expounding points about this idea that uh, that all, all all sins are all sins are sins and and at e- equal measure and therefore. Uh, we, We should not see someone who sins differently than us uh, like their sins are more severe if they sin in different ways. That was very convoluted to say that. I will clear it up in the end. Uh, But I'm going to start with something quite frivolous because I'm annoyed by it. It has to do with conservative media, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Taylor Swift. I promise I will do it in less than four minutes and we'll do it in just a second. Welcome to The Court X Show, wherever you find podcasts. Wherever you find the podcast, it is genuinely helpful when you leave a review for the show, when you rate the show. Let me admit to you that since going off WLFJ March 31st last year, we stayed pretty stable. But numbers are starting to fall off a little bit. My feelings aren't hurt by it. My um, my self-worth is not the numbers on this podcast. Uh, I have an awesome life. I have an awesome wife. I have a great... I got man, my, my world's awesome. So if it ends up being that only a few hundred of you are around, that's okay. But uh, it is helpful. Maybe even in the algorithms, not just sharing it. Some of you share the show on your social media. I'm so grateful for that. But I am going to ask if you've not reviewed or rated before. That is helpful to keep my uh, keep me on people's radar. If you have any desire, you can get in touch with me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Look for my weird name, Corey Truax. You can also email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. I'd be grateful. Let me start with the frivolous, dumb thing. I'm starting my timer. We are two two and a half minutes in. I'll be done by seven minutes. Here we go. Apparently, the guy who was running for president, Vivek Ramaswamy, a guy that's my age, a uh, lot more successful, and I would argue probably probably a few IQ points smarter than I am, but I found somewhat annoying along the way. I uh, just said on Twitter that Taylor Swift, her popularity, is some kind of psyop. If you are unfamiliar. With that concept, psyops are real. Intelligence agencies throughout history have run various operations to convince their own populations or populations of foreign countries of given things. I could give you all kinds of examples, but our, our CIA has participated in that. That's not conspiracy thinking; that's real, and of course, it is. It's just called propaganda. We we've all we all know about propaganda throughout history and its use, uh, both of uh, diminishing your enemy or degrading your enemy. Or to raise your own raise your own morale to reduce the morale of your of your enemies, propaganda is normal. So Vivek Ramaswamy is now pushing this this guy, conspiracy. I call it a conspiracy that there is somebody, there's a, some group, some force. I don't know who that are pushing Taylor Swift on us with with in the end. The idea being uh, she and Jason he, he she uh, Travis Kelsey that's the that's the tight end. Uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs that she is seeing will be used to push Joe Biden over the over the hump in this upcoming election because everything is about elections, everything's about the president. Nothing can just be a thing. Nothing can just be football. Nothing can be celebrity gossip. Everything has to be about the presidency. And uh, so I, I find as I go down this rabbit hole, this is a thing in like a uh, certain section of conservative media that there is a CIA-driven. Some or at least political-driven psychological operation against you to get you to really love Taylor Swift and do what she wants. And with the last three minutes that I will spend on this, let me just say there's no evidence of that whatsoever. I don't know if you guys happen to know. She's about 20 years into being the most famous musician. I mean, in in several different years, she was the number one selling musician on on iTunes, even before there was iTunes, she was one of the biggest things. Really, in the last twenty years, it's Beyonce and her. Go look at the stats; like they've all now outdone everybody. S- Selena Gomez. Uh, the other one I'm thinking of is, oh, I forgot her name. Ariana Grande. Um, even even going back to some of the '90s with the success of like an Insync and a Backstreet Boys, she and Beyonce have just outstripped everybody. There's no one like them in terms of sales. Oh yeah, that's the other one. Is um. Oh, her name, Rihanna. Those three are, are kind of it when it comes to popularity. They're they're in a stratosphere like no one else the last 20 years. So she was insanely famous. She didn't need the CIA or uh, whatever nefarious group you out there think is pushing it. Um, in fact, 10 years ago, she was criticized for not speaking out enough. The, the left would criticize her because she was so silent on things. And now she speaks out annoyingly on LGBT stuff and... She, you know, I, I don't mind saying she'll stand in judgment for that if she does not uh, repent and change her ways. Uh, I saw one Twitter account I follow in that certain part of conservative media that took a picture of this, uh, something I've seen at Walmart or at Publix, in just magazine stands filled with nothing but various magazines with Taylor Swift on it. And the caption was, this is a psyop. What's happening with her is not organic. I mean, this is a chicken and the egg thing, but... I got to tell you, man, it's, it's pretty organic. She, she ba- she's basically as, as famous as Princess Di. Princess Diana when I was like four, five, six, seven years old, whatever I was. I remember she being literally everywhere. I don't think that was a psyop. That was just organically the case. That's just, she's a big deal. Um, so can we just not traffic a conspiracy? It's annoying. She's being focused on in the stands of these games for ultimately not much time because she's famous and it's a storyline people follow not because of nefarious measure. And also people like uh, fellow football people, can you stop being annoyed by it? I guess I'm, I don't care about it, but that's the attitude. I don't care. I don't care that she's up there in the stands. Just please put the camera back on the game by the time the ball is snapped so I can pay attention to football because football's awesome and I don't particularly care about these celebrities because they have no effect on my life. All right, I told you I'd do it. Look at that. I did it in less than five minutes. There's no conspiracy surrounding Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, and you shouldn't believe it unless you actually have some evidence for it. All right, here we go. Matt Walsh, uh, a friend of mine, I, I hope you don't mind me using your name, sir, Logan Rice, once referred to Matt Walsh, I thought this was masterful, <laughs> referred to Matt Walsh as the human personality equivalent of sandpaper. <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect, because uh, I'll, I'll listen to Walsh, Walsh, uh, maybe once every five weeks or so. I'll put him in my rotation and just see what's going on with him. If he pops up in my YouTube feed and the video is short enough, I might watch it and take in some Matt Walsh. He's a Catholic guy, uh, so gets a lot of theology wrong, but decent cultural commentator. But that's a good <laughs> description. Human personality equivalent to sandpaper. And I agree with that. Like, I I tend to try to be a joyful warrior. I'm having some fun. And I, apparently he's funny sometimes, but there's a lot of uh, gravel in that... um in that presentation. Recently, apparently, I found on a video that uh, someone sent to me. Uh, he, he was talking about some protesters that went to the Louvre in Paris, France, where you can see the Mona Lisa. I saw the Mo- Mona Lisa when I was 20. It's very unimpressive. And these protester people threw a can of soup at it, uh, like put a bunch of soup on it, like not the can, but the actual substance that is soup, I mean, it landed on the glass. It's not going to hurt the painting. And then these environmental protesters began to make whatever dumb point they were going to make. When discussing this, Walsh says something in particular about how they should be punished. I believe I was tagged in this video because we have talked on the show a good bit about what would modern day, the application of biblical law look like in modern day. And I think what Walsh says here is insane and wrong. So remember the infraction. The infraction here is trying to deface and destroy, admittedly, a top five or ten uh, insignificance. A top five, top ten piece of cultural significance for the entire Western world, stretching from Eastern Europe all the way to California and Australia. Like the Mona Lisa is a very important institution in our cultural history. And the crime would be that, vandalizing and trying to deface that piece of art. Here's what uh, the old Catholic conservative commentator had to say.
1: And the fact that this even needs to be explained is uh, it, 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 it tells you everything you need to know. Need to know. I mean, I've always said that I would be in favor of using lethal force to protect great pieces of art. and And it boggles my mind every time this comes up And I hear from otherwise intelligent people who disagree, they disagree with that. They they say,
0: I am one of those otherwise intelligent people who boggles Matt Walsh's mind because no, I don't think you should kill the people who are throwing soup at the Mona Lisa.
1: We should not use, they say, well, is is the artwork really worth somebody's life? Uh, yes, obviously it is, Uh, definitely it's worth somebody's life. Like. If the Mona Lisa didn't have bulletproof glass in front of it, and uh, which it didn't up until, I think, to the early 2000s, and and um, and it didn't have bulletproof glass, and, and if you ran up and tried to throw tomato soup on it, and I was standing there with a gun, I would not hesitate to kill you. I, oh I wouldn't
0: gosh. even. <laughs> Sheesh, man. Okay, so that's two quick principles, Bible principles. Uh, death penalty is very serious. It is an important part of God's law. And it is commanded for premeditated murder. There are other things people can do that, in a just society, killing that person is necessary, but it is also grave, and it is an obviously severe ultimate price, ultimate penalty. But you can even walk through God's law looking for the wisdom, and you can find that if you kill someone in the commission of a, the commission of their crime. But you could subdue them instead of kill them that you might be liable for their life. If someone is breaking into your home, but they're not a physical threat to you, then it is actually incumbent upon you not, if you can't, if you don't have to kill them, don't kill them. If you've got someone who came into your house, you chase out of and you're chasing them out of your house and they actually are giving flight. They're running out the doorway. We don't shoot people in the back because life is precious. So what then would be God's law applied? We know that he has it wrong. We're not not just premeditated, not premeditated, like preemptively uh, going into the Louvre and if someone raises their can of soup, that if you're armed and if you're in France, you're not, you just shoot them. I mean, yeah, we're not doing that. But what should be, I would try to use wisdom this way, if you think I'm wrong, I'm glad to hear from you. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can get me there, or uh, Show at gmail.com. I would put vandalism of that sort into the category of thievery. You have stolen from Western culture one of its institutions if you were successful. And now, in this case, it's attempted thievery. You tried to steal. And then whatever punishment would go to that crime would be applied to these people. If you did ruin, if you did vandalize a piece of history that is priceless and you, you therefore can't pay recompense, then for the rest of your life, your labors will go to those you have robbed. In this case, it is Western civilization. It's not just putting you in a cage and send you away forever, but you will be paying something for the rest of your life. For attempted robbery of this, uh, you, you would be stealing it from us if you ruined it, then we do take something from you, some some kind of restitution. It is it is labor. It's, it's something of your possession that now belongs to the community because of what you've done. But I know this. We don't kill you over it. And so I want to correct old Matty Walsh for that very, very bad take. And again, I'm glad to take your comments. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. Look for me, Corey Truax, or Corey Truex Show at gmail.com. Corey Truex Show at gmail.com. That's a really good time to bring this up. That that topic right there, it's been core to what I've been discussing now for a couple of years. We need wisdom to figure out what to do when it com- comes to God's law in modern day. I often give you the illustration of laws about people getting gored by an ox or not having a parapet around their roof, but how about that one? How do we apply God's law to someone who Tries to deface a painting. Well, I suspect you've not had anyone try to destroy your property anytime soon, but the or anytime recently, but the modern day analog might have happened to you, and that comes often in the form of getting hurt in a car accident or getting hurt at work. Those are uh, really severe. Cons- excuse me. There's very severe consequences to those things. You're often losing income while we have bills piling up, and while that's happening, you're actually hurt. You're just physically damaged, or you have property damaged, and you're trying to navigate through a process of getting justice and making that right, That can be a lot. I don't want you to be intimidated by it. There are people out there to help you. The one I want to point you towards right now is a friend of mine. He's a personal friend. He's here in Greenville. His name is Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. You can Google him. Just look for Samuel Harms. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. Uh, For real, I have seen people really stress out and struggle with these types of accidents. So get someone who can help. Reach out to him. Samuel Harms here in Greenville, 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. the number is 666 So if you have had a, a modern, the modern-day equivalent of your property being damaged, but that might be your health in a car accident or hurt at work, give Samuel Harms a call. Don't try to navigate it alone. It's 666-6666. Two more pieces of audio I want to get you to. This next up is something called the White Horse Inn. I feel like I used to listen to that like 10 years ago and just lost interest for some reason. It's a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. Got a ton of respect for Sinclair Ferguson. As I talked about last week with people trying to uh, correct Alistair Begg, I want to give proper deference to a elder in the faith. But he has a, um, a criticism he offered on his show here recently that I don't think is quite fair. I think there's truth in it. Hear me. What you're about to hear, there's some truth in it. I think it's an overbroad criticism. So it's 30 seconds here. I want to play it for you and then respond
1: certain righteousness in me that has led me sometimes to say, every time you pastor sit down and write a blog that nobody has asked you to write is one elderly lady in the congregation who remains unvisited. (sighs) And we need to have in mind what we are really there for. We're not there for the general public knowing what we think about every, you know, last topic under the sun but we are there to minister to God's people. Certain- All
0: right, so there's a there's a uh, not more there's more than a kernel of truth there. The the local pastor is there first to disciple his people. Listen, I'm going to say something a little controversial for some of you. The local pastor is not there first to go evangelize the lost. That's one of the functions a a local pastor might fill. But the job one he is to be given to according to acts given to the ministry of prayer and the word i've been convicted of of that that uh, man pr- prayer for me as a church elder is lacking i study a lot of bible i hear not just not just listen to sermons i study and read cuz i want to be worthy of the title that i've been given myself the best i can with it with the resources of time i have given to the word and to prayer. That's that's the to the there's more to the job description definitely, but those are two core functions. And there in in the strength of having the word and prayer, tend to your flock. Care for your your people. And I think we do have an overabundance of church leaders who are online warriors. Guys, I don't we're at a point that I don't know Are we at ninety percent of pastors have podcasts? Are we at ninety percent of pastors have blogs? I mean, I here I stand. I I get it. I know that I uh, here I am. I'm bivoc- bivocational, but I'm in some ways defending myself, defending myself here, but also maybe hypocritical. But guys, I I've been doing this for ten years. It isn't what I first do, and in in any event, I I, I see what Sinclair Ferguson is seeing in that. It's, it's hard to find a pastor now that doesn't have a YouTube channel and a blog and is not engaged throughout the week online and not first with people. And so I'll first, I wasn't going to do this, let me just first take the criticism because I know I have some church leaders that listen. That's worth asking ourselves. Are we more engaged online than we are with actual people? and Or at least is our online engagement to care for the individual or is it just mass production and mass promotion of our own voice our own brand because if that's the case yeah that's that's a problem but i don't like i don't like this very wise man's formulation of the it's it's too general he says in every blog you write that's an elderly woman unvisited not in my church we don't have any elderly women we only have only so many sick people the the average pastor now is pastoring a church of around 50 or 60 people beachwood is about i don't know 60 or 70 people something like that we're about the average church size and in in those churches there there is only so many situations that you're physically going to go to from time to time and so I don't want to denigrate the pastor who that is spending some time creating content for—there's uh, so many distinctions here. Like, for example, I think of our lead pastor. I think when he creates content, he does it for us. He actually doesn't put it out there for mass consumption. He just puts it out to the church, and this is just for you people. So that, that when you sit down to write a blog, sit down to write a blog or a resource, record a video— that if it's for the benefit of your people, this is a good thing to do? I mean, I can take the criticism if the idea here is there's a debate going on in the Christian world and I want my voice to be amplified. And if, if a pastor is neglecting his first duties of the word and prayer and his own people, then yeah, we got a problem. But for those who create some content, if they're not leaving the other things undone, create the content. do And don't feel bad about it. And, and also, Always motives, man, always motives to the heart. Are, are we just trying to grow our own brand and grow our name and renown and people know what we think and what we do? Or are we trying to equip the church around us and Christians around us? I, I think I moved more that way. You know, Nine years ago, 10 years ago, and all this, well, when I was filling in for Dr. Beam, it was 15, 16 years ago on what became WHRT. That was just politics 24-7. I've morphed into more... Uh, more trying to comment in a way that helps other Christians think about the world clearly, as biblically as as I can help do. All right, so there's uh, Sinclair Ferguson and that criticism. Here is my last topic for the day. We'll probably spend 15, 20 minutes on it. Let me play for you first a clip from the sermon we had Sunday. This is just one part of a broad range of things that were discussed. The text was Joshua 7 and the sin of Achan. So just a little bit of context. The people of Israel are riding high after a victory over Jericho. So think of the people of God are walking in victory, but one of the members of the camp, members of their 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 nation, as it were, uh, sinned gr- grievously, sinned a religious ritur- liturgical sin by taking from devoted things, spiritual things from uh, from Jericho, and we, I would also offer the commentary that not just Achan doing this terrible thing, taking f- devoted things, but even the leadership in their in their tackling of the next task in AI seem presumptuous and are aren't seeking the Lord's face like they were before Jericho, but. Th- Mostly, that text is about Achan, his sin, and how severe it was. One section in here then drives the Christian to ask about the different degrees of sin, because Achan's sin was punished with the ultimate cost—his own life and the, the life of those ara- of those in his household. Not every sin was treated as a crime. Not all sins are treated equally. And that ends. That fact ends up in dialogue with something we say now. Sometimes you'll hear in Christian circles, don't hate those people because they sin differently than you. And it's usually used in sexuality contexts. When someone in Christianity thinks that someone in the church or someone in Christianity is being hateful towards someone in a deviant sexual system, deviant sexual thinking or acting, that Christian will pull back on the other Christian and say, hey, don't. don't. Don't think of them that way because they sin differently than you. Saying to me, whatever sins you commit are the same. They're the same as those other sinners. I get the instinct on wanting that to be true, but it's worth pushing on and asking, Was that? Is that what the Bible actually teaches? I want to play for you a clip to that end, and then I have a bunch of commentary I want to give you to that question. The different degrees of sin, different severities. This is our lead pastor over at Beachwood Church. You can find us, by the way, uh, just... Google Beachwood Church, there's two of them, one in Michigan, one in South Carolina, and you'll find us there. Uh, go to the South Carolina one. All right here you go. It's Pastor Doug Truax. Jesus
2: has categories even for degrees of punishment. He'll say in Luke chapter 12, as he's talking about maybe two men who are guilty of the same kind of sin. Let's say they both lied, or they both stole something, or they both committed adultery. Jesus will talk about in Luke chapter 12 how the man who knew the Lord's will versus the man who didn't know the Lord's will The man who knew the Lord's will will endure more stripes, greater stripes, as opposed to the man who didn't have a particular knowledge of God's will, who will endure, still punishment for his sin, but with fewer stripes. So Christ has categories for same kind of sin, different levels of knowledge concerning that sin. But then as Jesus is on trial before Pilate, he's got a category for the the sin that Pilate is guilty of, and then a greater measure of sin... Judas Iscariot is guilty of. Jesus himself says, the one who delivered me to you
0: has the greater sin. So from Jesus'... Now, there was a lot more argumentation that was really solid. I just wanted to give you a taste of it. You can find that sermon out on Spotify. So that's really well argued just from this top. And that's one of the things I've, I've, I've liked to do for many years is give you a pocket argument. So when someone says... You know, all sins are ultimately the same. I want in your pocket. Hold on. You know, Jesus taught there in Luke 12 that he who was familiar with the law and broke it will be punished more sevil- severely than the person who didn't know the law and uh, and then broke it. There's a different severity to that sin to know right from wrong and then not to do it. Jesus, out of his own lips, says to Pilate, the greater sin is the one that delivered me to you, Judas Iscariot. So you're in sin, Pilate, for what you're going to do. There's a greater sin, a worse sin over here. Can't argue with Jesus's teachings. And again, there's more argumentation that's built out in that sermon if you want to go find it. So I just want to give you now thoughts that I I wrote down and how I would want to explain degree the, the degrees or the different degrees of sin. Uh, I'll start at the beginning with Genesis. In Genesis 9, we're told that premeditated murder should get the death penalty. And now we already know that it's very rare. So we know just from the beginning, oh, there there, there must be some things worse than others. Because this one thing is being singled out for a, a death penalty right here. I think, I, I did this basically, by the way, uh, chronologically, I started thinking through the Bible, uh, Leviticus I had to go find this part it's mostly in like 10 11 12 13 and there in Leviticus you will find varying sacrifices for varying sins there are there's more sacrifice to be given with the more severity of of sin there therefore there must be different if one let' me say it this way if the sacrifice for sin can't just be one standard thing, That must necessarily mean different sins have different severities. I noticed language, I don't quite know what this means yet, but there are sins in the Old Testament that are specified as crying out. The, The blood of Cain, wait, no, Cain killed Abel. The blood of Abel cries out. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah cry out for justice. There is, uh, what's that, an exodus? That what's going on with Pharaoh, it cries out for justice. So, oh, I, I don't necessarily even know how to pinpoint what those sins are in Sodom and Gomorrah and Pharaoh that are crying out for justice, but they must be different because, see, these other sins over here, they don't cry out for justice. There's something specific in that language. There is, uh, yeah, that's, oh, I don't know what that is. Somewhere in the Gospels, that's a b- vague one. You can Google that if you want. Jesus will talk about Tyre and Sidon. I hope I'm right about that. I'm, Yeah, I am. Tyre and Sidon saying the oh, 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 Bethsa, Bethsaida, these, these Jewish cities. It's going to be so much worse for you than it was for Tyre and Sidon, again, in part because of this concept. You knew. You knew right from wrong. And there's going to be a judgment that's worse for you. So there's degrees of sin. I think Matthew 18 tells us this. Well, Matthew 18 will tell us, you know, if there's a a sin between two people, don't make that public. Go one-on-one. And if that sin is not repented of, then take a small group. Then there are big old public sins that cannot be handled one-on-one or with a small group. Big public sins, big public heresies have to be handled publicly. I'll put me an example here. God forbid, let me pause on that, God forbid I ever do something that shames the name of my God that would be a shame to my wife, to my father, to my mother, to my family, to my two boys. God forbid I ever do anything to ruin the reputation that he has allowed me to to build and the reputation of the God I say I serve. God forbid I ever do anything like that. But that would need to be handled publicly because I'm a I'm a public figure in a church, a small church. But there's there's got to be an explanation why Corey's sitting sitting over there in the seat and not on the and not on the stage doing what he usually does. Back in the day with WHRT, if I'm off the air, there probably needs to be a, a statement. We can't just make Corey disappear. Here's what he did, and it violates you know the the, va- the values of this station. Not not as much as my actual job, but there would be maybe not a university wide you know. 400 some people work there but in the 20 or so people I interact with regularly yeah there probably need to be some kind of reckoning if I did something publicly terrible there's different degrees of sin that have to be dealt with differently and so I want you equipped when you hear in the culture well well art aren't all sins equal no they're not different degrees different severities different ways of handling them that's right out of Jesus's mouth and we see it all the way through scripture all right. I knew this one was going to be a little shorter because I had a bit of a compressed schedule this evening, and I'm so grateful that you listened. Will you do me this favor? Review the show and rate it, if you haven't, wherever you listen. And if you you listen on Spotify and want to go review it on Apple, that's cool. If you listen on Apple and want to go review it and rate it on Spotify, that's cool too. Those are always super helpful, and it is very helpful when you send me things that you think should be on the show. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Just look for me, Corey Truax. You can also email the show at coreytruaxshow at gmail.com. I am so grateful that you listen. And for all those that contribute monthly, let me say a quick thank you for doing that. That's genuine from the heart. I am grateful for all the ways you participate uh, in the show. If the Lord allows, I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.